Uh, we get that little voice that tells you we're recording in progress from Zoom now. It screws with you. Uh, welcome to episode number 43 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And despite the fact that this podcast is a new format and there's 150 episodes of the old, Jordan Syatt is my first returning guest to the new format. He's been on a couple times the old, so I guess this makes, I think, episode number, actually, I think five, because my, you were on with Mike Vacanti once as yeah. well. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's yeah. right. By the way, I've got to get Mike. I got to talk to you after about getting Mike on the new format too, so he'd be great. But I brought you here to, well, shit, you've had a lot going on, even since we talked. I mean, shit, you moved from New York to Dallas. You yep. got engaged, which I know yeah. you've been playing this stuff up on your media. You, what else? Oh yeah, you've been stuffing objects down your pants. Yep, that's been a big one lately. <laughs> about the outline of your penis on, <laughs> on your social media posts, which is absolutely ridiculous. What else have I missed of recent that's been going on? Um, I got a jujitsu competition coming up in about two and a half weeks. So I'm, I'm doing like a, a weight cut right now, which is why the whole like, objects in the pants came around. Cause I was, I, I wanted to do, it's, it's about a month. So it's a month long weight cut. And I was like, Oh, it'd be cool to have one of those things where you have a picture every day of the month. So you can see the small changes over the course of the month. And, um, there were some people who were like, uh, excuse me, we can see the outline of your penis and, uh, it's just not appropriate. And I was like, at first I was like, fuck you, whatever. And then it got so annoying. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make them feel really stupid just by putting odd objects in my pants to make it seem like it's so ridiculous. And the response has been huge. Actually, Ben Bruno had a really good idea. He was like, bro, you got to make shirts about this. And uh, he had this idea where I should make a shirt. Like we can make one for men, one for women, where like one shirt for men is like, there's a line uh, going from the very bottom of your shirt, like right above your penis. And it says like, yes, this is my penis, but my eyes are up here. And we could have the same one for women. Like, yes, these are my boobs, but my eyes are up here. So, uh, so yeah, just, ha just having fun with it at this point. Ben's got a great sense of humor. He's the only person who just has said no to coming on the podcast because he doesn't like doing them. Only person. Really? Yep. I mean, I've gotten John Berardi on here and he doesn't do podcasts. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, there's lots of people like Pete Dupuy is like, bad. let me know anytime, right? Pete loves it. But uh, yeah, the person I've ever asked, I mean, who knows? I don't push him. So, but you and I always end up talking about social media, but I guess there's kind of a reason for it. And just off air, you were talking about just some of the, the bullshit you get. Mm. When I think about our corner of the industry, I mean, we know there's, you know, bodybuilders with, you know, millions of followers or what have mm -hmm. you. But when I look at what I call the evidence-based or like the respected corner of, the, of our industry, you're one of the most successful people in terms of brand influence and social media following. And I guess that comes with a lot of bullshit. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I guess, you know, you get all these people who are looking to build their social media followings. I very actively, you know, in grow mine, right? It's been growing mm. really rapidly. In, in a large way due to your influence. In You've early. been crushing it, bro. Every time I look, your engagement is better. Like your audience is growing. Like every time I look at your page, it's like, holy shit, this guy's just going bananas. Yeah, it's almost 3,000 people just in this last month, right? Which is pretty crazy. That's crazy. For an account of my size, right? I'm just approaching 20,000. But what are some of the things that people who are looking for that larger audience and think it's, oh, this would be awesome. You know, you're dealing with bullshit all the time. I've seen fuck you, you you're you're jewish right and like the israeli stuff and i don't want to get into politics or whatever but i mean you got some really nasty stuff that came down the pipe for that you oh, got people bro. who are mad because they can see your fucking outline in your pants how do you manage this stuff and what would you say to someone who you know is a, is trying to get into that space 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I actually appreciate the opportunity to chat about it. Um, here's what I'll say. And I think this is really, really important for people to know because everyone that I know, not everyone, but the vast majority of, of fitness coaches that I know, they all want to grow their audience. They like, they, they want to grow their audience and not just grow up, but like, they, they're, oh, I wish I could have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. And I want to make something really clear right now. I am no happier now than I was when I had 2000 followers and a much smaller business, right? Like there's one of uh, a good friend of mine, Pat Flynn told me a long time ago when I was 24, he said, um, up to a certain point, money will solve more problems. After that point, it causes more problems. And when he told me that, um, I wasn't at a point in my career where I was doing as well as like I, I could or as well as I wanted. Um, I am very blessed to have gotten to a point where the number of followers that I have, like it's, it's, it's difficult, man. Like it's a blessing in many, many ways, but I'm no happier now than I was with an audience sized, a fraction of what I have and, and making a, a fraction of what I was. And I, and this is what's really caused me to reevaluate what are my priorities? Like, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to leave New York city. Like the, one of the main reasons I wanted to leave New York city was because I wanted to work less. Like I'm tired of the grind and the hustle. Uh, I love New York city, but that environment for me was just all about the grind and the hustle. And I needed to change my environment. Um, I I'm very actively, I'm not actively searching to make less money, but I'm actively okay with making less money because I'm going to be working a lot less here. And that's already like started to happen. Like, and I'm okay with it. I think I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, it's, it's very difficult to, with the human, as humans, we're not designed to have opinions from thousands of people from all over the world that you've never met constantly going into your head. Like that's, we're not made for that. And um, as to my knowledge, this is the only time in history in which people have ever like been able to directly message someone that they don't know to directly interact with them and say whatever the hell they want about them. Or even if it's not directly to post it somewhere else on the internet and that you can stumble across and find it. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, just don't let it bother you. Don't let it bother you. It's like, listen, until you've got hundreds and thousands of messages coming in every day, just saying, don't let it bother you is like the most ignorant thing you could possibly say. And, and the reason I say this is not because like, it's not to discourage you from trying to grow your audience. It's just to prepare you. Like if this is, if this is really what you want, if you think having hundreds of thousands and millions of followers will make you happy. If you think making more money at the expense of privacy and everything is going to make you happy, you're probably wrong. Um, there are many, many things I'm blessed for, and, and I could not be more grateful for the opportunities I've had. Um, but don't let the illusion of popularity trick you into thinking that popular equals happy, because I, I've had some of my lowest times when my engagement was the highest. Right. And it's like, that's why I'm actively seeking to do less now because I want to focus on my happiness as opposed to engagement. Well, one thing I've noticed, and I, I heard you guys talk about this on the, your podcast with Mike, but I figured this out beforehand is you started, and I don't know if you're the first one to do it, but I, you and a few other people, my buddy, Maddie Fusaro, I think you know who Maddie mm, does, yep, it, yep. does it where you don't just do the Twitter graphic, but you will embed the smaller Twitter graphic in a larger picture. Mm, yep. And of course, other people think, oh, well, that's the shift. Twitter posts are dead. I promise you, they're not fucking dead. Right. I've got they're one not dead. right now that's got, 
you know, 7,000 shares and growing and it's going nuts on the internet, which is a lot for account my size. You probably get those all the time. It's, it's huge, period. Never mind the account size. It's a ton. But people think, oh, this is the next big pivot. Oh, we got to do something different. And they miss the fact that you're doing it deliberately. Yeah. People yep. will share your picture or a picture of someone a lot less readily than they will share just a text-based image with a small picture and your name on it. Absolutely. And you're doing it. And I've heard you say it, but I figured this out. You're doing it because you're focusing on your existing base and strengthen the relationship you have. You have over 700,000 followers. It's probably going to be hard for you to gain a lot of monetary value out of aggressively continuing to grow that audience. People share mm -hmm. your shit anyway. You're a well-known name and brand in this industry. People are finding you all the time. Yep. But I can tell that you are looking inward on the relationships you already have and doubling down on those. There's more video of you, mm -hmm. you know, talking, you know, to your, into your camera, into your microphone and all this stuff that's designed to strengthen your brand. So if someone's really trying to grow their following aggressively, I wouldn't necessarily say, Hey, do just this at all. Like these Twitter graphics, they work like crazy and everybody's trying to do some different twist on it or be unique. No, man, this shit works. It's crazy. Bro, the, you're 100% right. And your analysis of my social media strategy is like very high level. I can tell you've really been developing your knowledge of social media and why people do and, and behave certain ways on social media and how it works, which is not a surprise considering how much success you've been having on it. Um, my social media strategy right now is not to get more followers. That is not my goal. Like I could lose thousands of followers and be totally fine. Um, it's not my goal either. My goal is to build a stronger relationship with the people who already follow me. That's it. I just, I, I have plenty of people, like plenty, like a huge part of me doesn't want any more people. I don't want more eyes on me. And it might sound weird to say, but you know, there, sometimes I'll get messages from people. I just moved to Dallas. I just moved here and I'll get messages from people taking a picture of the building I live in from the outside and being like, this is where you live. And I'll be like, that's really fucking scary to be honest with you. Like it's absolutely petrifying. And uh, again, it comes with many blessings as many incredible opportunities, but the more I do it, I'm like, man, I swear I just want to move into the middle of nowhere <laughs> and just like, just be on my own. And uh, I, I, I have nowhere near the audience size of some of these like super huge celebrities and people who are ultra famous. I can very easily see why they lose their mind. They go crazy. They've got paparazzi in their face waiting outside their homes. They've got tabloids, New York Times articles about them. It's like, I couldn't imagine. And I can see why people would like end their life because of the opinions of all these people who are just overwhelmed like they don't they don't know them they've never met them and they're they're making a headline specifically about someone just to get more clicks without the without any idea of how that's actually going to affect that individual on a teeny tiny minuscule scale i can see that now and i'm like bro i'm out <laughs> i'll still share stuff i'll i'll still like i i love what i do i love coaching people but for the rat race of getting more followers i'm out i'm done with it and different people arrive at that point differently. I mean, you still have a very active social media profile. Mike Vacanti. He, oh, he's done. <laughs> he doesn't even like, he's got a, I think it's something in the 30 to 40,000 range. And I don't think he's posted much with any consistency. And it makes sense as to why. I think you can also develop a lot of business strategies and sustainable revenue streams without it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are caught up in the fact that social media in of itself is the end goal. Something that, 
I think this is really important. And I've been trying to show people this is if you do want to grow your social media, social media in isolation doesn't do very much. Mm-hmm. You need a lot of what I've been calling career capital, you know, mm-hmm. long-term social media content, which you talk about relentlessly. Mm-hmm. You've talked about this before, before you blew up your social media and around roughly about 2017 infographic wave, mm-hmm. you Carter and Susan and everybody, you had been writing articles for years. You had I'm pretty sure you had podcasts that go back a little further than that. You mm-hmm. have other forums. I'm pretty sure you were on YouTube before that. I don't know the timing exactly. Yeah. When you started 2012 for YouTube. Yeah, yeah 2011 so for articles. Yeah. So you had already built a presence and a well-known brand name in the industry. You happened to leverage social media early and capitalize on it. We've got a lot of really smart, good people in the industry. You probably know who Chad Landers is. or Yeah, Brad yeah. Or I like him a lot. Mark, yeah. Mark Fisher. They're amazing people, right? They're Super awesome. smart and very nice guys. Yeah. But none of them, Robert Lincoln, if you know who Robert is, none of them like jumped. Oh, he's great. He trains a lot of brand stuff around training older adults. The man oh, is cool. Cool. He's a good friend of mine. Really awesome guy. He's in California. So these are all people who are reputable, really well-respected and successful people in our industry, but none of them put the time and effort into Instagram. So, you know, you don't need it per se. Um, bring my point back around. I've been focusing on a whole bunch of things that were springboards for my Instagram growth. I worked on writing like very, very good, uh, be, being good at writing those short captions. I mean, that, that's essential part of it, right? And of course the Twitter format does work. People share the hell out of it. But the fact that I've also been working on my actual writing and writing for T-Nation for almost yeah. three years and then getting on with Generation Iron and PTDC and some other stuff coming up, people see that and those are validating. The fact that there's a four year long podcast that has its own strong audience. The fact that I have these relationships with people like you and funny enough, because we still have never met in person one day. <laughs> it was supposed to be last year. You're going to be speaking at my event, but that got blown up. Um, and we'll revisit that in the future. But, you know, getting to sit down and meet a lot of really cool people like Mike Isertel, who shared a ton of my stuff. Mm. And, you know, he just sent me a message before this. I'm having my website redeveloped. And like you gave me a short quote endorsement, like that professional awesome. endorsement on my website. And that includes you and Jonathan Goodman and Christian Thibodeau and Danny Sugar, my editor from T Nation, and a few more really cool, reputable people. That's cool. It's all that capital that you build up over time Mm. that when people discover your social media, they're going, oh, what else is there? And then they dig into this stuff. You're YouTube. If someone is just doubling down on only social media, you do a pretty good job of it. Great. You can grow. But then people are like, all right, I like this person. What else do they have? And there's nothing. Yep. Some, some people don't even have a website. There's just nothing else. Bro, it blows my mind. It like a, before you do anything, get a website, like use a free template from, from wordpress.org that like just ha- you gotta have a website because people are going to look you up and, and get some long form articles on there. Ideally that's, I would think that that should be someone's main focus for the first two to three years, coaching people in person and writing long form articles should be like, and, and this is for online coaching. If you want to be a great online coach, coach people in person and write long form articles should be the main focus for the first few years. And that's exactly the formula you built it upon, right? Yeah. So obviously I'm biased, but like, <laughs> like I, I don't think going directly into online coaching without coaching people in person is smart or intelligent. Like they, there are pros and cons to both. I'll say this. I think in-person coaching is infinitely better for strength training and technique and all that. I think online coaching is infinitely better for nutrition and mindset coaching. 
I, I think there's a lot to be said for more frequent contact with people uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I think there's a lot to be said for taking people taking the time to write out their thoughts and emotions and behaviors around food and, and what they're doing day-to-day, -day, analyzing what's going on. When you're with someone for an hour in a gym, it's it's hard enough, like to get the whole workout in sometimes, never mind also talk about nutrition and behavior and all of that. So I, I think there are pros and cons to both, but to get started, if you're at the beginning, like if you're not coaching people in person, you're not going to be as good of a coach as you could be. I wrote an article on this one for true coach a while back because you didn't say what I'm going to turn around and kind of poke out a little bit, but we get this sort of gatekeeper attitude where people will make arbitrary statements is like, you need to train for five years in person, <laughs> you know, before you have earned the right to, to train online. I mean, first of all, that's bullshit. That's, that's gatekeeper yeah. keep stuff. And you're right. You're going to be infinitely better as an online coach. If you have in-person experience, mm -hmm. given the events of the last year and a half, we also have to accept the reality that Correct. there are trainers who were training for six months we're mm -hmm. trainers just coming into the industry. And the only option was Zoom or online work. And yep. those trainers just suddenly not have the right to provide support to their clients. Totally agree. Yeah. And the coaches, the people who are educators in our space, well, you got to got two choices. One is you can make these bullshit decrees and, and shout down anything like that. Or you can be part of the solution, the education right. you do to help these coaches do a better job of it. What Jonathan Goodman's doing with the OTA, right? Or, uh, and his, uh, the personal trainer development center, the, the base of his work, or any number of other people who are providing these services, right? And you and I both had uh, separate conversations with Jonathan. He's building something new. He's got this mm. uh, personal training program in the works. So you always talk about doing just Google sheets and email. You're like big on that. That's it. And Jonathan is picking our brains to see, okay, how can I do better uh, than what's already out there. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred, dude, a hundred percent agree. Especially over the last year and a half. Um, it's, it's been great for me to see how many people have, it, it's actually been really interesting. Instagram had, there are pros and cons to it, but one of the best things I've seen come from it is how many people have developed a passion for fitness as a result of it. And there've been a lot of people who I've seen 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, having a career, maybe two careers prior being like, you know what, like, this is my passion. Like I love helping people with their fitness. And it's been really cool to see men, women later in life, just completely changing their career and their life. And, and instead of having a job that they hate, or they just go to, to pay the bills, they've created their own coaching business and they can help people all over the world while supporting their family. And it's like, it's incredible. Like I absolutely love that. Susan, right? <laughs> Perfect it's, example. That's exactly right. She started as a client of yours. She's a former teacher and she was heavily involved in the strength trading aspect of it later in her career. And look at her now. I mean, she's your partner in the inner circle and one of the critical support structures and partners you have in your businesses, right? That was, yeah. Like the critical one. Absolutely. Like, like I, she's incredible. Like she's absolutely incredible. She's been a huge asset to me in the inner circle. And, uh, yeah. And she's, she's just one example of just, I, I, you know, people always cliche say it's never too late. Like, no, no, no it's really <laughs> never too late. And when you look at workplace happiness and people, you see a lot of people who are just super like upset and not happy in their jobs. And the major reason for that is they don't have a passion for it. They don't like it and they can't see the end result actually helping people. Whereas with fitness, there's something about being a coach 
seeing your clients' results, seeing them improving, improving their confidence, their self-efficacy, getting stronger, being more consistent. There's something about seeing that that makes you feel like you're really making a big difference. I think that's an addicting feeling. And that's what's happening to people through exposure to things like Instagram, like they see fitness people doing something, then they end up hiring a coach from Instagram, whatever it is, they get great results, they get super passionate about it, and then they can continue to spread awareness and, and to help coach other people. Like, it's really extraordinary when you think about it. And when anybody who's familiar with your story, and the fact that you were interning at Westside Barbell as a teenager, <laughs> you got a really, really early start in the industry. And you've logged a lot of miles and built a lot of career capital at a very young age. Mm. You're what now? 31? 30, 30. So you are actually younger and having, have accumulated everything that you've done at a younger age than I started in the industry. I started at 32. That's crazy. Put that That's in perspective. Crazy. And then for anybody who's watching, you know, hey, I just got asked to you know do my first formal speaking engagement and I'm writing for these big publications and I've had this podcast and whatnot. Most of the stuff that's been visible and standing out in, in the fitness space has materialized over the course of the last four to four and a half years of those 10 and a half years in the business. So a lot of that stuff happened in my late 30s. So if you're listening and you've been doing this two, three, four, five years, and you're still in your 20s or early 30s, just think about that for a second, right? Don't look at someone like Jordan and think, Oh shit, I'm so far behind. Jordan's the anomaly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. A lot of people in this space are kind of more like me. Now, of course, there are people who had the, the traditional route through school and knew what they were always going to do. And you get, yeah, Lee Boyce was writing stuff for Teen Nation in his early 20s. John Romanello was on Teen Nation in his very early 20s. Nate Green. Set. Who's, well, sorry. Remember Nate Green? See, I've never met Nate. I know who he is. And it's weird. So, I don't know if you've seen my client, Larry, on my social media. Susan, yeah, of course. Larry's like famous on your social media. Yeah, Super cool. So Larry is really, he's a very sharp guy. So he digs and he learns stuff. So he sends me this article that he digs up and he's like, here, what do you think about this? It was about this evidence-based article on weight cutting. Mm. And they were, the article, they were talking to Nate Green through his work at PN. That's and awesome. And it mentioned John Berardi and, and Martin Rooney. So Larry's like, hey, what do you think of this? And he wasn't thinking, hey, aggressive weight loss. He's just the science behind it. I'm like, I've had Martin on the podcast. I've had John Berardi on the podcast. Nate Green is, you know, a really credible guy. Doesn't have much of a social media footprint, kind of like what we were talking about before. Yeah, I've, I've spoken time, to him about it. I, I like him a lot. He's, he dude. purposefully distanced himself from it. And uh, we've, we've had brief conversations and he's actually one of the, one of the, like, the reasons that was like, got me thinking, man, maybe this is time for me to start sort of slipping away into the ether a little bit because he's as far as I know he he lives a very fulfilling life a very fulfilling very happy life he sends emails every now and again uh but yeah I, I'm a huge Nate Green fan he's really a wonderful guy I need to dive into a bit more of his stuff because he's a reputable insider I think is the way to look at it he's mm. uh I listened to an episode where Luca Hosevar had him yeah. on his bigger uh, life podcast which is again one of my favorites like there's so many podcasts out there. I've got friends who do them. And there's really only two that I specifically make a point of listening to most of the time. It's yours with Mike, uh, how to become a successful personal trainer. Mm. I don't even listen to many podcasts. I listen <laughs> to the other one and, um, and, and Lucas. So well, this is something else I was going to ask too, because, you know, I saw you share, well, I was maybe a month and a bit ago that uh, your mini podcast was like number one, number two in uh, US. I looked, it was the same thing in Canada. You know, it's, it's doing super well. So how valuable has 
the have the podcasts been to your career and you know how much have they supported your other media or has your other media supported them just the role of them in general in your career bro the the podcast is like it's my favorite piece of content right now um and it has so for it was second in the US a distant second to mind pump mind pump dominate <laughs> right so like it was second nowhere close to mind pump if i get closer that would be a, a wonderful wonderful gift at some point but i i don't expect it cuz they just crush it but um w- the reason i started my mini podcast is because i was coaching people and i was having phone calls with my clients and I was like, I remember being on these phone calls after doing them for years and years and years, thousands and thousands of hours of coaching calls and hearing different people from different walks of life, different races, different genders, different ages, different socioeconomic status, different places in the world, all having the exact same problems and having the saying the exact same words and phrases, which blew, like, I get chills just talking about it, like different in every way imaginable having the exact same problems, saying the exact same phrases, the exact same struggles, fears, worries, anxieties. And I was like, I wish I could record these calls and publish them so that people can know they're not alone. Because I I was saying the same stuff over and over again, everybody. And eventually I remember I was sitting down with Gary Vaynerchuk and and he was like, have you heard of this new app called Anchor? And I hadn't heard of it. Uh, But at that point, it was basically like uh, a an app that was made so that you could have a phone call with someone and record it, which is essentially a podcast. So I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I downloaded it and I started having these conversations with my clients just on the phone, on this app, and it would record the call and the sound quality was terrible. It was absolutely awful. And, uh, but the calls were great. And the response was huge immediately. People were like, I feel like you were having a conversation directly with me. And then slowly and surely I got a microphone and I made the sound quality better, but the mini podcast is basically just conversations with me and inner circle members. And uh, they're 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And it has, which is pretty, it's pretty crazy, even though it's, it does very, very well relative to my Instagram, relative to my YouTube, relative to all my social media, my podcast has the smallest audience, but it has the highest conversion to actual business, which makes total sense, right? It has way fewer listeners, way fewer downloads, way fewer actual people listening than Instagram, my Instagram stories, my Instagram posts, whatever, uh, YouTube, all that way fewer. But if someone's listening for 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half to you talk, like they're invested. And I would way rather have a thousand people listening to an hour of me talking than have a hundred thousand people barely able to listen to 10 seconds of a video on Instagram. And, uh, and that's really, I think it's, it's the quintessential version of like long form is really going to help you win the, the short form content that I've created on things like Instagram has helped me build the podcast. Cause I can help direct people from my Instagram to my podcast and, and get more and more audience that way. But the, the real people who invest the most in me are podcast listeners and, and, uh, it's their podcast listeners, their long form YouTube video watchers, and the people who watch my entire Instagram story. Like I keep track of that. If people make it through like 20 or 30 stories, like that's, they're invested. They're sitting there for 
10, 15 minutes sometimes just watching a whole story feed. So for me, that that's the podcast has been wonderful, super rewarding. And it's my favorite piece of content, not least of which also because there's no comment section. So <laughs> it's really nice. <laughs> like I don't have to deal with people being like, you're, well, I mean, people can leave reviews and be like, you're an asshole, but no comment section directly. So I can just have a conversation, publish it and it's good to go. It takes a lot of effort for someone to go and leave a negative review, right? Mm, that's that's mm. a different level of versus say a YouTube comment. There's something embedded in there. You're a lot of people's fitness go-to, you know, on a grander scale than most other fitness professionals. Very, very few in our world kind of have the scale and scope that you do. But I, I try to encourage, and my presentation at this event is going to at least touch on this topic, that even the trainer with, you know, 200 followers, 2,000 followers, you have a group of people who you are their go-to fitness exactly. resource. You're the right. person that they most are interested in. And one of the points is not all those people follow you, Jordan. They don't all follow Sohi. They don't all follow Spencer Nowalski. Most of them don't. Most of them don't. The, that by you being afraid of what the trolls will say or industry leaders, I'm going to come back to that one for a second. First of all, the industry leaders are too fucking busy to be paying attention. Correct. You've got a busy life. You're not spending as much time on social media. I'm impressed that you even have a grasp on what I've been doing with my media because I don't expect it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't expect that you're going to take the time to do that. It means a lot that you do, but there's no expectation that anybody would. But get my train of thought back on here. If you are afraid of the negativity, which is on your scale, yeah, we we're just talking about it, you get some. But on that scale, you're not going to get anywhere close to the kind of negativity relative to the positive effect you can have on people's lives. You are failing to serve the people that are really interested in hearing from you. So I want to nudge people into create more, share. Oh, absolutely. Dude, it's, it, the way I think of it is like any every coach who's been in this for even a brief amount of time knows and has clients that was nervous to go to the gym because they were worried about someone making fun of them or not knowing what to do or getting negative feedback in the gym. And any coach, I don't, I don't know any coach, even like the worst of the worst coaches would still be like, get the fuck in the gym. Like, don't worry about it. Like, even if they give you negative feedback, you are improving yourself. You're going to let that person prevent you from getting in the gym and improving yourself and working out and, and all of that. It's the same thing with posting on social media. Like you're going to let someone who might potentially say something negative, prevent you from growing your business and helping people. It's insane. Yeah. It, it makes no sense to me, but yet I totally understand. And yes. the analogy to people going to the gym is true. You know, if you run, if you go into a gym and you get one sideways look from somebody, okay, cool. That could possibly happen. There's a lot of other people in there who are just completely focused on themselves or will look over and give you kind of a smile and a nod of approval. But at the end of the day, it's really about you just feeling better. I am a big champion for, I mean, the post I had recently that's been very popular, the one that went viral, it's, it's really, it says like gyms are not about vanity. It's, it's about people's mental health. It's about, you know, an addict who's trying to beat addiction. It's about someone who, it's their social outlook, outlet and a, and a few of these other things. And what I hope is that our existing gym goer base and our coaches think a little bit more critically about your body language and the way that you engage with a person who looks like they're a little uncomfortable in the gym and for the enthusiasts to go, Hey, that, that person who's brand new, who's also paying for their membership has just as much a right to be there as you do. Yes. And maybe they're sitting in your machine that you need now. And maybe they don't necessarily look like they know what they're doing. You got two roads, intimidate them out of there and they don't come back. And you do that often enough. And eventually all of a sudden you're wondering why your gym's closed. Cause no one's coming there. Yep. 
and, and literally this happened to the old gym I used to work at. They've been failing for years. I long ago left them because the management wouldn't deal with these predatory shithead types mm -hmm. in there. Or you could turn around to that person and smile and say, you know, how are you doing? I, I haven't seen you around here before. You know, are you new to the gym? And then you strike up a conversation, especially if you're a big, scary looking dude or really fit rip person. And if they see that you're friendly, boy, that tends to diffuse the fear factor for them. And that's this person's life. You don't know this person's story. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is the pivotal moment that keeps that person coming past their new year's resolution. And a year later on, you look at them and go, man, you've lost 40 pounds. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. And you can, you can have a ripple effect, a butterfly effect through time in different people's lives, simply by how you engage with people. Mm -hmm. That's and exactly I hope right. people take that seriously. Bro, I love that. I couldn't agree more. So anything on the topic of podcasts, you know, there's more and more people doing them, right? It's, mm -hmm. you know, I, mine's been going on for four years and, and ranks bounces around pretty well. It, it's had some really nice all-time highs in, in various different countries and it still charts really well. It's not quite where yours is, but for new people, it might feel intimidated. You know, is it worth starting one? And what would you say to them? It's like someone saying who's, 40 years old, they've never worked out a day in their life. Is it worth it for me to start working out yet? Like, yeah, of course it absolutely. Like when I first started doing podcasts, I was like, even though my Instagram was pretty big at the time, I was getting very few people downloading my podcast. Like I maybe had like 20 to 50 downloads at first. It's like, even with a relatively big audience on one platform, I was still not getting a lot. And that took a while to build it up that for the first like several years of having a website, I got like 20 views, 50 views a day, most of which were my mom. Like it's, <laughs> it's using the justification to not start because there's so many out there is a tired excuse to justify not stepping outside of your comfort zone. And, and even if you only help 10 people, five people, one person, it's worth it. It really is. And the cool part about that is, is if you're consistent with it, that one person will go to two, that two people will go to three and it will build up. It takes a long time. It is incredibly difficult, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. It's the same thing that I, we were talking about earlier about even if your audience is small, but those are the people that plug into you and want to hear more from you. You got devoted followers. They're probably going to come over and check out your podcast. Yeah. And you know, you've talked about this tons get the, the shitty episodes, get the shitty posts, get all the shitty writing out of the way early practice while you have a smaller following. So that way you get the rust off. And then by the time you get a lot more eyes and ears on you, you're a lot more polished. I mean, this is straight up Gary V stuff. You know, Gary's talked about that tons from his old wine library videos. Yeah, it's exactly right. So one of the other things I was going to ask you about is like I've talked about it a little bit, but you really have had a fairy tale career when people look at it, right? And you know, it's West Side Barbell as an intern, as a teenager, Cressy Sports Performance, coaching Gary V, all that sort of stuff, and the heights of social media and, and some of the pressures that come with it. How do you stay grounded? Uh, you know, I think for a while I struggled with it. Um, I, I, I think I still struggle with it. Uh, I think. Um, I think I had, that's the, one of the main reasons I moved from New York is like, cause I needed to find a way to get more grounded. Uh, one of the biggest things that's been a huge help for me is jujitsu. It's been life-changing in many, 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 many ways. Not least, not just because I love the sport and I'm interested in it, 
but because it's given me something to focus on outside of my business. Um, for so many years, like my sole focus was like fitness and business and everything related to that. It was the only thing I focused on to the point where I neglected so many other relationships and, and ways to improve myself outside of fitness and business. So I think if there's one way that I've been able to improve my, my balance and being grounded is doing things outside of my, like my general concept of fitness and business and having interests outside of it. Um, I still struggle with it. Like I, I, I don't want to be like, Oh yeah, I'm totally grounded now. Like, no, like I still struggle with it. I think it's the whole concept of balance is, uh, I think it's flawed in many ways. I think it's misconstrued in many ways. Uh, I even think oftentimes the pursuit of balance isn't as great as many people believe it to be. Uh, and balance is going to be different for everybody. What's balanced for someone might be completely unbalanced for somebody else. Um, but in terms of staying grounded, the best thing I've done recently has been going, being a complete beginner in something that I knew nothing about and investing a lot of time and energy into that because it's really nice to go in somewhere and just be like, Hey, I know nothing. You're the boss. You teach me. Like, I know nothing about this. I want you to tell me what to do. I want you to tell me where I suck. And I'm just, I'm just here for the ride. And, and that's really refreshing and humbling. And it's been a wonderful journey. I suppose, you know, guys, you get to go to competitions, you could uh, like send them videos of you doing four times bodyweight deadlifts just to fuck with it. Be like, what the fuck? I got to like fight with this guy. <laughs> Screw this shit. I've got to believe that that neurological strength, I mean, strength is, is very specific to the task, of course, but that base level of general preparedness and, and physical strength has got to be really goddamn good when you equate for skill and belt level. Yeah, yeah. Especially for for my body weight going up against other other people my size. Um, there's a huge advantage, a huge advantage on that front. But man, I've been tapped out by 14, 15 year old women who are 115 pounds, who probably never deadlifted in their life. There's literally, there's a young, a young girl. I, I don't know her name. She goes to the classes that I go to a couple nights a week. And, uh, this girl's a savage, bro. Like this girl, she's probably in like freshman year of high school. Her mother and father go with her to every class. And, uh, we're like, I'm a smaller guy. So the teacher will often pair us up together. This girl is a straight up fucking savage. Like I, I pray for any dude who tries to mess with this girl, like unbelievable. And like, there's no way she can lift a lot of weight. Like she's not like super strong, but she's so technical and she's so efficient with her movement and skill that she's a straight up killer. And uh, yes, there's an advantage that I have when I go against other people who are skill level equated just because I have the strength, but bro, even someone two percent better than me in skill i'm done like i'm just done just the skill beats the strength for sure you mentioned something cool and um the efficiency with the skill and this this came up a lot in i don't know if you've ever read joel jameson's uh ultimate yeah. mma conditioning i found it semi-recently i loved it i got joel on the podcast he was like two, oh two that's awesome ago. i met him in 2017 but didn't get to interact with him very much but more recently yeah, eight, eight man, weeks I, out right eight yeah. weeks out yeah yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant stuff that he does. So he talks a lot about the importance and he doesn't teach it in the book. He's talking about energy systems. It's the best breakdown of energy systems I've ever seen anywhere. It yeah. beats the breakdown of energy systems. Yes. A lot of training applications that while sort of specific to MMA, 
you can extrapolate into anything you need. But he talks about the importance of this efficiency of your skill, which like places less demand on your cardiovascular capability, which means that you have a lot more energy and you're not gassing out. Dude, that it's so well said. You articulated that perfectly. It's the best jujitsu guys. And I would imagine in all combat sports, but the best jujitsu guys, there's a saying in jujitsu, a black belt who gets tired is a blue belt. And it's like the, the, the belt system goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. So blue is like the second level. Um, 99% of people who ever start never get to blue because they quit so early. It takes about a year and a half to, to two years or so to get your blue belt. And it's just really difficult to actually stay in long enough right when you're getting smashed every day. Um, but it's, I always found an interesting phrase, a black belt who gets tired is a blue belt because it just goes to show that once you get tired, no matter how much you know, your skill will drop, your ability to be efficient with your movement decreases. And um, Joel Jamieson has done a, a remarkable job of educating around this. Another one who I think you'd love to have on your podcast is Mike Perry from Skill of Strength in Boston. He's a, a big, big trainer for a lot of the, the mixed martial arts fighters. Uh, he's actually a purple belt in jujitsu. Um, he was actually recently diagnosed with prostate cancer. He's like fighting through that, like a beast. I'm just, I'm a huge lover and supporter of him. And he, he's a, he has taught me a lot in terms of energy systems. And I think he has some really unique ideas in terms of how to, how to program for mixed martial arts and jujitsu and all of that. But, um, it's when you go against a higher level fighter or, or grappler, the ease with which they do it is just mind boggling. A lot of people say like, Oh, how do you, how do you make your deadlifts look so smooth and so easy? How do you pull a slack out of the bar so quickly? Well, I've done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I've dedicated my life to deadlifting four times my body weight. Uh, that's how these athletes are with combat, which is such a unique skill, right? Like whoop do you do? Like you can deadlift a lot of weight. The bar is, is static. Like it's not changing. It's not trying to choke you. Like when you can be so calm and collected with someone that you're at, who's literally trying to break your arm or choke you out. It's a different level of, of Zen. If anyone, like I'm a casual UFC fan, I'm not someone who's diehard. And I've always found that one of the things that works against UFC is outside of a few stars in the last few years, like last decade or so, They've almost struggled to market their named guys. Mm. But if you watch, there's certain guys like Habib when he yeah. was fighting, and even Habib, you know, basically dominating Conor McGregor, you can see the difference in his ability, even over Conor, who was the champion yeah. at the time, um, in that fight. And there's probably plenty of other guys at the heights, Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, especially at the heights of their oh, abilities. Yeah. When Brock Lesnar really figured out MMA and he started really fucking shit up. Yep. Yep. You saw that. So there are some examples of these guys that were just so much better than anything else that they were, they were able to throw against them. So you can, you can see it. If anybody is actually a fan, you can see it in the sport. Oh yeah. I think Habib and GSP are two of the best, if not the two best examples. Um, they, never tired out. They never gassed and they kept pressure and pressure and pressure. And I think Habib is, is the greatest of all time because like he, he barely ever lost a round like ever in his, in 29 fights, like not a round, which is unbelievable. Like the craziest thing ever. And you watch him fight and just 
the amount of pressure he would put on people to make them work and work and work and essentially push them to the point where they couldn't be efficient anymore because they were so tired. It's like just a master class in combat. It's really, it's really remarkable to watch. He ragdolled Connor and he, you know, exhausted him. It was funny. The domination in that particular fight, I can't remember what UFC number it was, but the domination was so evident over a fighter that I enjoy Connor. I like his, his showmanship. I actually think that Connor, Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar are three really critical reasons why the UFC has sustained a lot of its popularity because they understand they borrowed from that WWE sort of heel and, and bigger larger <laughs> than life persona. And they were comfortable with people hating them. Mm-hmm. You know, Rousey didn't handle it well after she lost. Yeah. Connor did wonderfully with it. And it translated into a big paycheck against Floyd Mayweather. Floyd is another good example of just, endless endurance and I'm not a fan oh. of boxing and I don't yeah. like him as a person, but as an example specific to this about just being able to, his energy systems are so well-trained that it doesn't matter. He can, he can run the length of a fight and wear other people down. Yeah. Floyd was so interesting because he was so good at not getting hit, right? Like most people think about fighting or boxing as inflicting damage on your opponent. Floyd in his earlier days, like he could knock some people out earlier, but he was never a knockout puncher. He was never like a big hitter. He was so good at taking his opponents into deep water into the later rounds and some of the slow motion of of fighters just swinging at him. And some of the best fighters in the world, like Canelo Alvarez, whatever, unable to touch him. It's like, if you've never boxed or or taken a boxing class you won't really know but even if you just take a a simple class for boxing punching is exhausting especially when you're putting a lot of force behind it and you do it for five six ten twelve rounds like dear lord these are 30 minute plus fights like are you kidding me it's insane well this is explosive power and being Mm -hmm. able to do you know explosive endurance over the course of an entire fight right like you have to have very very well developed aerobic energy systems to sustain that, but you have to have very good anaerobic energy systems to replenish the ability to keep doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Joel Jameson's book, I mean, I'm parroting it basically at this point, the book does um, a great job of it. So if anybody's interested in this stuff, go get that book. You can get it off of Amazon pretty easily. It's like, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, but it opens the door to Joel's other resources. So I like people, it's just great. So anything else exciting coming up on the horizon? Um, you know, I've gone through all the stuff I prepared and I wanted to ask. So is there anything burning a hole in your mind? Um, so I got the jujitsu competition. You know, one thing I've been doing lately, it's funny, as I've been disconnecting more from social media, I've been focusing more on my own health and fitness in many ways. Bro, I'm training for the splits right now, which has been super fun. Uh, actually that's a lie. It has not been fun. It is unbelievably painful and I hate every second of it. Um, but it's been really cool to see the progress in my splits. And, um, I mean, as a side note, I didn't even realize how sore and, and achy my back was until I started doing splits and it was no longer sore and achy and my mobility has improved. Dude, my back feels the best it's felt since before I started competitive powerlifting. Uh, I'm not doing anything crazy. It's just, I'm doing a lot of stretching. Uh, it's actually, it's been super fun. You know, Juji Mufu or, uh, yep. he's, he's a funny. beast. John, what's his name? John Cole. I don't know. I don't know his actual name, which is crazy. I just John Cole. He's, he's so smart 
and so, I, I really am a huge fan of his, but a lot of my, my, I, I sort of have two different, uh, programs for stretching. One is more just static long duration stretching. And I have other days, like about two days a week that are high intensity isometrics that are just disgustingly hard. Um, and it's been wonderful. It's been actually really fun because I've always thought of stretching as just like, you know, a long yoga class, but I've, I've really enjoyed the isometric stuff. Cause it reminds me more of the strength training, which I love. I love giving a lot of intensity to it and, and a lot of exertion. It's been really fun to, to go into an arena that I know essentially nothing about and see the rapid progress. Like I've been doing about a month and a half and I, I'm about, I don't know, maybe a foot off the ground. Now, when I started, I was like three feet off the ground, like two and a half, three feet. Like the, the results have been pretty dramatic. You've been, so just a little bit about the science behind this, you've been relaxing the neural tone mm. of the, of the tendons that are keeping out of those end range positions and just casually static stretching, it won't do it. The only thing that is supported in evidence to improve that flexibility is very, very long duration static stretching and the best way to improve mobility at a joint is to load into end range of motion safely, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, load the muscles under stretch. So that's where the isometrics come in. You actually have to have tension on those muscles, relax the neural tone of the, of that pullback against the, the stretch reflex against that end range, and then mm-hmm. get good at controlling your ability to move into that range, which gradually over time improves. The one big factor is, is being able to have the actual you know, not run into bone on bone and range of motion where you cannot physically go any further. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm almost positive. I'll be able to go full end range without bone on bone. Cause it, when I was a kid, I could do full splits. Um, I know like body changes as you get older. I'm not sure about how much about bone structure. Um, but when I, I'm working with this guy on Instagram, his name is Garrett movement. Uh, kid is a beast. I don't know if you've seen his page, bro. This kid is an absolute savage one arm chin-ups for reps. Um, <laughs> just one handed handstands with the full split, just crazy strong, super sweet. He, he actually, he, he reminds me of myself when I was younger, he's like 21 years old. Um, and just working so hard, uh, working so hard and, and really putting effort out. So I, I love it and I respect it. Um, great coach, but, uh, it's been, it's been amazing to, to give this new, new, uh, skill a shot. And, and when I told him, I was like, listen, when I was younger, I could, I could do a full split. He was like, Oh, well, that's really good. Like you'll probably be able to do it. Then it's much better than like, if, it's crazy how the skills you develop as a kid, if you develop a skill as a kid, it's so much easier to get back as an adult than if you never developed it at all. Did you talk to Dean Somerset about learning the splits? At I haven't. Levels? No, no. Go talk to Dean because okay. even if I remember, he can do like, I, I don't know if they're called like front splits versus side splits or the technical. Yeah. So you're obviously going, I've seen you images of you, like the, the Sean Claude Van Damme and by yeah. the way, done the way that they did in his movies, right? How he learned to do the splits. Um, but Dean, I'm pretty sure can do front splitting and, you know, if anybody's seen how Dean's built, you know, Dean's, Dean's a hefty dude, right? Yeah. So, but he's also the hip mobility guru of our, our space. So just go, go shoot him a text and, uh, tell him I told you to, and just ask him your, your, his thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I'll never forget. I mean, I have, I don't see his stuff pop up much anymore. Um, I still, I follow him. I just, I don't see his stuff pop, pop up much, but Quieter. I'll get 
when I was early on in the industry and like, I was buying all of his stuff. Like I love Dean. Like he's super smart. I learned a lot from him over the years, but I always remember watching his Cossack shifts, like his Cossack squats to like a shift. And I was like, that guy's hip mobility is insane. Like, I, I'm not surprised he could drop into the splits with that type of mobility. Yeah. He's not, I mean, I haven't talked to him about it directly, but cause he's here in, in Edmonton. I haven't seen him in a little bit. But he's, I notice he's not posting as much on his social media. And I get the sense that, you know, not unlike yourself, you know, he's, he's taking a little bit of a step back from, I don't think he was ever a big, like high volume social media guy in the first place. He always just yeah, yeah. did the underlying career capital thing and his reputation and name just carried and he just had a following. He's been writing articles for lots of publications for a very long time. Yeah. He's super busy with coaching. You know, yeah. him and his wife, they're definitely like, I, I remember there's some stuff on their his media recently about them going out in the mountains and hiking and doing other oh, kinds nice. of shit. And I, I know just Dean is really busy with in the trenches work with his clientele and all the stuff that you know, I don't, I don't think he needs to go on social media, make a bunch of infographics spend <laughs> tons of hours on this stuff to build following. I think he's very, he's incredibly successful. He's very fulfilled. And I'm going to have to circle back around and have a chat with him about uh, if it's even plausible for us to pull off you know, our conference this year, which, ah, I don't know. Right. It's touching yeah. Yeah, next year for sure. I mean, next year, you know, if we lose two years of it, that sucks. It is what it is, but we'll do a really killer job and we'll see where the hell it goes. Yeah. That's I, I've, I, I had to cancel. I was going to do my inner circle retreat this year, but we had to cancel that as well. So basically it looks like all of the, the seminars and, and conferences are going to have two year gap where they couldn't do it, but it'll be good. I think it'll be really nice to, to have that time away to make people appreciate it so much more when they do get back to it. That's been one of the silver linings through all of this is doing things that used to just be everyday stuff are now going to be so much more, there's so much more appreciation and perspective for it. Long, how long until people start taking it for granted again is what I want. Not. <laughs> Probably like two to three days. <laughs> do, you, do you have any speaking engagements coming up at all or anything you want to do? So um, I, I had several. I was supposed to do one in Liverpool actually this coming weekend, but that got canceled because of restrictions. I was supposed to do one in Portugal in August, but that got canceled because of restrictions. Um, so actually I... Luca, Luca Hosevar, he asked me to speak at his in this coming September, which I believe I'm I'll going. Do. I'm oh, going. Let's go. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So I'll, I'll see you there. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of some other ones. I, I think that's the only one on my calendar right now. Um, I would like to keep it to at most one a month before I was going <laughs> two, three a month, sometimes more. And it was great, but dude, traveling is brutal. Like traveling is really, it. <laughs> I did enough with Gary for a lifetime, but I'm just like traveling really, it, it wrecks my schedule, wrecks my sleep schedule, my training schedule. It's just like the more <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old, I'm definitely getting old. I just, I like being home. <laughs> I really like being home and at least being in the hometown, being within several miles of it, like like the whole process of packing and getting to the airport and da, 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 I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm just, I'm a curmudgeon now, but it is, it is what it is. I know there's going to come a point and I know this is probably literally part of your plan where you're just going to one day you're gone to Israel and then that's it. Oh yeah. You never right. leave. You're just you're there and that's <laughs> game over, right? You just settle down there and just keep doing your thing. We, we were planning on moving to Israel. We were actually, that was before we moved to Dallas. We were like, all right, we're going to go to Israel, but the borders were closed due to COVID. Uh, 
And, uh, and so, yeah, so we, we came here. And so depending on what happens over the next year, we, we very well might go there once our lease here is up, but, uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Israel is the one place for me where it's like, I'm totally fine. Not working where it's like, I'm with family. I'm with friends. I can fully relax. It's the one place for me where as soon as I step off the plane, I'm like, I'm good. I, I don't need much to live. I don't need much to be happy. Like just being here feels like home. Oh, great. Well, I'm excited to know that you will be at Lucas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listening, so again, we've been hungry for events like this. Lucas is going to be, I think it's the weekend around, it's like t- September, something between the 23rd and the 27th, I think. Correct. I think it's September 23rd, I believe. I yeah. think so. So yeah, I'm going to fly down because it's you know, pretty much a direct flight from Edmonton to Seattle. It's not too bad. And then I'm going down. So my friend, Tim Arndt, I don't know if you know, Tim. I remember, I know it's A-R-N-D-T, right? That's right. Yeah. I've interacted with him before. uh, Must've been at least five, six, seven years ago now. He was super, super nice. I haven't seen him in years, but like he was always a very nice guy. Great guy. I met him in 2017 at the, um, the, the fitness summit in Kansas city. That's where I met like mm. a shit ton of people. First time I met Pete Dupuy and Brett Contreras and Spencer Nadolski and Sohi and like fuck tons of people. It was awesome. Like I, I, that's why I push these things so much. Like, and then I went to Luca's uh, event later that year. And then I met Luca and I met God, who else was there? Well, Mark Fisher and, and Pete Dupuy were there again. I met Brett Bartholomew and Martin Rooney. And again, it goes on, right? Sam Pogue who's fucking cool as hell. But with Tim, I met him there, and then he had an event the next year. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go down to this. And James Krieger was presenting, Brad Dieter, Chad Landers was there, and on and on. So that was super fucking amazing. I went back the next year. He had a great lineup, and I couldn't go last year. Never happened. And then this year, he's doing it. I'm like, I'm hungry for something. I, I want to go to one yeah. of these things. Yeah. And as it turns out, Greg Knuckles couldn't go. And he's like, man, you know, and I, I was trying to get him Luca to see if Luca could pop over, but he's busy that weekend he's just like an hour away yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's like dude no i want you to do it. i'm like all right fuck it let's do this <laughs> thing right and i said if anybody's in this position i knew eventually given all the other media stuff that someone eventually was going to be like hey man i want you to present at this conference and you know i've, I've done the mc thing but this is a little bit different it's intimidating but i'm like ah fuck it i'll be fine so i told myself i would accept without question i love that i'm like oh now i'm committed so now i gotta do this so I'll prepare best I can. What are you going to talk about? Content creation. It's been such a, and, and you know, getting people to you know, put themselves out there. Some of the things that we literally talked about today are literally talking points from an article I wrote in the past and this presentation I'm building. Bro, you're so, going to crush that. Like you're going to help so many coaches with that. Like you, I can tell based on your content, how you write it, how you present it, how you share it. Like you understand content creation at a level that 99% of people never will. You're going to, I, whoever attends that is going to be very lucky to learn from you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And it's probably going to be a little bit of a smaller event. You know, Tim's hoping for maybe, you know, 50 to 60, whatever. I'm going to try to put as many, you know, butts and seats as I possibly can to make it worthwhile for him. And that one is the first weekend in August. I think it's like third and the fourth, but you know, anybody who's on my social media, I'll be sharing tons of it. So if you're interested and you're hungry for something to do. And I know it's easier for people who are kind of up in the Northwest, but if you want, you get to come meet me, or if you've already met me, you know, a lot of my listeners I've met in these conversations before, come hang out. You, you know, we got a cool speaker lineup. Uh, so again, Brad Dieter, uh, James Krieger are both in this one. Um, Melody Schoenfeld's in it. Uh, if anybody knows Melody or Brad Schoenfeld's sister, but she's famous, you know, she's cool on her own right. Uh, Sarah Ashman, and there's a handful of more people who are going to be there. So I'm looking forward 
And uh, yeah, hopefully some people will want to come out to these events, but I'll see you at Lucas for sure. And for everybody listening, guys, thank you again for tuning in. I appreciate it. If you're finding this for the first time, first listen, well, go back. Jordan was on a recent episode when I reformatted the podcast, and then he goes back even further into other episodes with my old partner, Dean Guido, who's busy being a dad now. He's doing <laughs> And he's super into jujitsu now too. Yeah, big time. He likes it. And he's a fucking freak show. Like he's, he's my height and he fluctuates in weight a little bit, but he's, he probably walks around maybe 220 most of the time, but He's, I think he's deadlifted something near 700 pounds. He squats over five. He's benching four forty something obscene like that. You know, he's got these long gangly arms too, and he's powerful. So once he, once he got the skill, it's just going to be the same thing as you. Anybody in his weight class who doesn't lift like he does, he's going to destroy people. Yeah. That sounds like a really scary part. I would not there in, in jujitsu competitions, there's like the weight class division and then there's the open class division, right? So like the, the weight classes, obviously everyone who's your belt rank and your weight open classes for the people who place top three in a competition. So like I'm a blue belt. So if you place top three in my weight class, uh, in my division, then you can go into the open class once that's over. So it does weight class is irrelevant there. So the, I would imagine Dean would be like one of the last people I'd ever want to step on the mat with. <laughs> it's always funny. Like sometimes they'll get videos of like the super heavyweight going up against like the light feather or the rooster weight. And it just looks scary as hell. It's like, Oh my God, I do not want to do that. Well, you might end up with Israel at some point, right? Imagine oh, rolling around with 240 to 50 pounds of that. I could not imagine. I would, I would just quit. I'd be like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> like, no, come on. I don't know. I'll, I'll go easy on you. And then just next thing you know, you're in the hospital. No. I was right. I mean, like you get to that size and you know, there's going to be mobility issues anyway. I mean, he's a bowling ball. He's so big. <laughs> right. It's like, he's, he's literally 240, 250 pounds walker. And he's only five foot six. Right. That's terrifying. Yeah. We weigh the same fucking thing and I'm enormous, but I'm Dude, that's too. crazy. That's yeah. crazy. That's absurd. Um, but anyway, so I, uh, I'll chat more off air for a second, but I just want to thank again, the listeners and, uh, guys, if you are just finding me subscribe, I'll keep trying to earn it. Um, I'm working on getting my buddy Ben Mudge on here. He's super fun. Uh, oh yeah. I like Ben. Yeah. I just actually brought him on to T nation for the first time, did an article together and it was super popular. That's awesome. He's got cystic fibrosis. Looks like Thor. And it's just like the coolest <laughs> in the universe. So it's fun to watch his story and journey, right? Charismatic as all hell. Great on video. I made him do the videos and I just wrote the damn thing. It was a perfect combination. <laughs> and, uh, you know, give me a review. If you've never reviewed, please do. If you're not following my social media, come find me, Andrew Coates Fitness. But let's go f- get you on Jordan's social media. Go follow Jordan. Everything is Syed Fitness, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just Google my name, Jordan Syed. You'll find me all over. And you've got the mini podcast. You got how to become a personal trainer. Mm. Um, you got YouTube. There's just a ton of media to dive into. So a lot of fun for everybody. Yeah. Just don't, I, I have a TikTok, but I, I don't think I'm ever going to use it again. So no need to follow me there. You were trying <laughs> to get me to use TikTok. I, and and I'll I tell you what, if, if, if I was just starting out or if I really wanted to grow on social media, I would be on TikTok every day, like oh, three really? times a day, but I, I don't, I don't care about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you too much exactly it, it's just about the the life cycle of your career like we correct earlier right so guys thanks again jordan thank you for being here i appreciate it uh hang in there and we're out